Good morning, everyone. In some recent services, Paul has spoken from the early chapters of Revelation, and he asked me to speak this morning from Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Revelation remains a closed book for many Christians. It contains images and descriptions that can be hard to understand or seem irrelevant to modern life. It's termed apocalyptic literature, and today this term can bring the response Oh no, something terrible is going to happen. But previously, the word simply meant unveiling, lifting the cover off a box, or pulling back the curtain as on a theatre stage. Some older Bible translations give the title of the book as The Revelation of St John the Divine. But note the opening words in chapter 1, for it says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And the word translated off could also be used to mean by or about. So this book is a revelation or unveiling of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. The book is all about Jesus Christ. And understanding more about Jesus should be sufficient motivation to stop us avoiding the book, but we are also promised a blessing when we read it. In verse 3 of the first chapter it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So right now, let's pause and claim this promise from God. Expect a blessing from God today as you read, listen and take to heart the words from Revelation. Some background to help with the context. Around 90 AD, the Emperor Domitian ordered that all citizens of the Roman Empire must worship him as Lord and God. Temples were built in his honour, and people commanded to throw incense on the altar, saying, Caesar is Lord. The Apostle John would not obey such an instruction, and so, even though he was by then in his 80s, he was exiled to a penal colony on the island of Patmos, a small rocky outcrop some 10 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey. On Patmos, John was facing physical suffering. This wasn't a Mediterranean holiday destination. Exiles were given the hard labour of quarrying rocks. As John was isolated from his support network, we can be pretty sure that he was suffering emotional stress. He was facing an uncertain future. Often exile was a life sentence, so John didn't know when or if he would be ever able to return to what could be termed a normal life. This physical separation meant that he had been abruptly removed from the ministry that God had called him to, and so we could say that he was experiencing some aspects of job insecurity. As we come to the end of a very unusual year, we can identify in some measure with what John was going through. Life for everyone in the UK has taken a very different form as we are under attack from an invisible foe that is bringing illness and death, especially to the most vulnerable. Many feel fearful and isolated, disconnected from their usual support networks. The economy has seen contraction on an unprecedented scale, leading to great employment insecurity and financial hardship for many. We are enduring a drastic loss of personal freedoms, including even the ability to meet together for worship without restrictions, and there's no prospect of when it will all end. While for most of us, 
circumstances are not on the same scale of deprivation as John was speak, experiencing, there is still some level of physical and emotional suffering as restrictions, uncertainty and volatility impact our daily lives. Despite his circumstances, John kept his focus on God and the visions he received brought him comfort, support, insight and strength, enabling him to rise above his immediate situation. These visions are recorded for our benefit, so we too can allow the scenes from heaven to act as motivation and encouragement in guiding our responses today. In Revelation, John is instructed to look 19 times to help him understand that things are not what they seemed on the surface. There is more to this present moment, more to the flow of history than John can know with his unaided senses, intellect and emotions. The visions are designed to give him a proper perspective of reality on earth. Let's hear what the passages say from Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 to 4. Worship in heaven. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. Revelation chapter 5 Verses 1 to 14, the Lamb opens the scroll. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. 
you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the lamb. Chapters four and five portray an incredibly busy moving set of characters and activity. John's attention is drawn to different parts of a narrative as they unfold, somewhat like a stage production where the spotlight falls on different actors in different parts of the stage at various times. Unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to go into each image in detail, but I encourage you to make some time and read through the entire chapters on your own. The first thing John's attention is drawn to is that of a throne with someone sitting on it, soon identified as Almighty God. A throne represents the authority of the person occupying it to reign, and the symbols used to describe the throne and its surroundings convey scenes that are majestic and awesome in appearance and activity. But the key thing to note here is that the throne of the universe is occupied. It's not up for grabs or waiting for a leader to be elected. The future of the universe is secure as God occupies the throne. Roman authorities thought they had control over John's life. I suspect John may have felt that way as well in times. But this vision is telling him that Almighty God is still in control. He is sovereign and nothing happening in John's life is by chance or accident. When something works out as we'd hoped, or perhaps even better, we will sometimes say God is good. However, can we say and mean it, God's good all the time? Nothing happens to us that is outside of God's sovereign control. Illness, financial hardship, unemployment, relationship breakdown, even death. John's exile or coronavirus didn't take God by surprise. He is still in control of the universe, your life and mine. Allow this vision of Almighty God on his throne to embolden our trust in him, relying on his love for us as he works through our circumstances for our ultimate good. That is, conforming us to the image of his Son. To celebrate that God is occupying the throne of the universe, we can join with the elders and creatures in Revelation by falling at his feet in love and worship, echoing their words, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. 
No matter what our perceptions might be, as we look around at world events, the reality we need to hold on to is that God is sovereign and still in total control. As we move into chapter 5, John's attention is drawn to a sealed scroll in God's right hand. The angel asks if anyone can be found who is worthy of opening the scroll. But no one on the entire earth has the right to break the seal and open it. On hearing that information, John is devastated and starts to weep until one of the elders tells him, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. John is assured that the details contained in the scroll can be revealed by Jesus. Hearing this incredible news, he turns back to look at the throne and an amazing image presents itself before him. Standing in the centre of the throne isn't a lion, but a lamb that has been slain. What a vision! Almighty God on the throne of the universe, but sharing it with a slain lamb. Jesus had been identified by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the triumph that is being referred to. Listen to the song that is reverberating around heaven. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from every, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. This image shows the reality that grace is never cheap but costly. He who knew no sin became sin for us and took upon himself the punishment that sin justly deserves. The death of Jesus taking the punishment for our sins was a victory as salvation is available to all who trust in him. The Lamb has conquered death and has been exalted to the throne. Those who trust him for salvation from every ethnicity and language and tribe are appointed to the special role of reigning on earth. And that's what the rest of Revelation is all about. It's unveiling. Symbolically, the scroll contains the full account of what God and his sovereign will has determined as the destiny of the world, the culmination of history. It contains his plan for rectifying what is wrong and establishing his gracious rule in the world, bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to earth. A plan which by necessity involves judging all that is wrong and destroying all that is in the way. The decisive battle has been won and it's only a matter of time before the war is over. History is heading to the feet of the Lamb. One day, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess him as Lord. What a glorious future we have to look forward to. When his kingdom is established, and we shall reign with him, we are destined for the throne. The next scenario that opens up before John is of an unnumbered angelic host joining in the chorus to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And this then leads to the crescendo 
when we join, when we get the chance to join in with this choir as well, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. Now, as I reflect on this scene of ultimate worship, I quickly realise how shallow, fickle and weak my worship really is. But this vision into heaven has not been given to discourage us, but to help us gain a fresh perspective on reality and stimulate us to authentic worship of Almighty God and the Lamb who was slain. Worship comes from the words worthship, and it means giving God the worthship that rightly belongs to him. Worship is, is ascribing value or treasuring God above all other things. The psalmist could write, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Worship is an act of turning our attention to focus on the living God who rules, speaks, reveals, creates, redeems, orders and blesses. We worship God by having a true perspective of who he is, what he does and what he is doing in the world. In our worship, we also reflect on the truth of who we are, redeemed, brought into relationship and made right before God by the death of the Lamb who was slain. Worship then is not just a response when we feel like it, when things are going well in our world, or when we're in church or some other Christian gathering. It is so much more than singing some praise songs. Worship is a conscious, deliberate, intentional act of obedience at all times. This means we can worship God in every circumstance of life, as we change nappies, mow the lawn, figure out the numbers on a spreadsheet, or care for an elderly relative. We can even worship when we are experiencing heartache, disappointment or loss. When we worship God, we don't focus, we don't forget about our hurt, but we worship even in the recognition of that hurt. Focusing on God draws our attention away from ourselves and our circumstances. In Hebrews chapter 13 verses 15 and 16 we read, Through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Note the phrase, the sacrifice of praise. There is always a cost involved in bringing a sacrifice such as time, effort, possibly finance, ignoring how we are feeling. But when we focus on the worthiness of God, do good and share with others, we are assured that he is pleased with us. In conclusion then, the images given to John in his vision of heaven were designed to change his worldview of reality. They can be summarised as God has not been dethroned. The Lamb has won. The culmination of world history is heading to the feet of the Lamb. 
and our response should be authentic worship, the sacrifice of praise. Does your worldview of reality also need to change? Allow the revealing of what is happening in heaven to bring the response from us of falling at his feet, casting our crowns before him and joining with the elders, creatures and the angelic host in worship. Then we can worship into our hurting world with confidence that Almighty God is still on his throne and live a life characterised by a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that praise his name, doing good and sharing with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Amen.